I second that. Good job, Daddy. How are we doing? All right, so I got to meet some of you. I know we got a lot of new folks today, which is awesome, just so you know the rules. The house rules here is when I ask you a question, you got to answer, all right? It's okay to talk in church, even if I say something you disagree with. Uh, shout out. I don't believe that. That'll keep us on our toes, all right? So you're free to speak, answer, clap, whatever you want to do. And let me catch everybody up because we don't do inside jokes. Um, we've been doing a thing because we're a church of Jesus, and we support the Panthers. Um, there we go. And uh, we, we felt like we had to do something, so we, I said, I'm not shaving until they win a game. Then they won a game, then I was, I was like, hey, maybe it's because I had a beard. So then I was like, I'm not going to shave till we lose. And since I said that last Sunday, we lost twice. So it's over. Today is the end of the beard, the end of the series, maybe the end of the Panthers, I don't know. But we're moving on. We're moving on. So this has been a beautiful series, and we're going to catch you up. But we've been walking as a church. It's been really powerful to, to know some of my brothers and sisters are reading the same, the same text that I am. So we've been doing a chapter a week of Galatians. It's really the first time we've done something exactly like this. We've also been doing small groups, uh, talking about the chapter each week. If you didn't get in on that, uh, this is, we're, we're, it's our first small group since COVID. We're really excited about the potential of this. We have more people in small groups than we ever have. Uh, so that will end going into the holidays, and then about end of January, we'll start up another session. So we'd love for you to get in on that. We'll tell you more about that. But today, we're going to finish it up with Galatians 6. And some of you, you know, like me, you hate the, the worst thing, you know, a boss or somebody can say is, hey, I need to talk to you in my office. About what? Well, I'll tell you when you get there. No, give me the roadmap. So I'm not going to do that to you. I'm going to tell you what we're talking about today. We're going to summarize uh, chapter 6 with six things. Um, here they are. Spread the burden. God cannot be mocked. Fight against weariness. Of course, we've got to talk about circumcision every week in Galatians. Uh, my one and only boast, and what really matters is new creation. So here's what we believe as a church, what I believe with all my heart. We prayed through this. We prayed through the seat that you're sitting in this morning. Uh, there's something on that list that God wants to speak personally to you about. I don't know what that is. If it's the first one, then you can go ahead and check out for the rest of them. You may play on your phone or whatever. Um, but we, we are expecting God uh, to speak to your personal life. I can't do that. I'm not good enough, but God can. You're here for a reason. Are we here for the first time or the last time or whatever? I just want to pray for you to hear what God would have you to hear this morning, okay? Father, we, uh, we believe your word is powerful. Uh, we believe it's a weapon. We believe you know, supernaturally, you know what's going on in every heart, in every mind. You know the burdens that are in this room. You know where everybody is as far as where they stand in their faith journey. I just pray that you would have your way and your will in this room, that that somehow through your Holy Spirit, that every ear would hear exactly what you want them to hear, and that you would speak powerfully from your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's close this out. We're going to start in the first verse of chapter 6. It said, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Now, when you think of caught in a sin, it's not like, you know, you're caught on camera. Whoops. It's the, 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 the vibe in this verse is more like, um, like, a, like a trap set for an animal. Like they didn't know. They're just minding their business, and they were caught. Now, we're, we have responsibility for sin. Don't, don't get me wrong, for our sin. But, but it, sin is always a deception. We have an enemy who's the expert in deception. So we're deceived. 
Maybe that's been you. And here's the job. It says, what does it say? For elders and pastors. No. It says, brothers and sisters, if you're a part of what we call the church, the body of Christ, this is part of our role. What do we do? We, we walk with people. If somebody is just messed up in sin, those of you who live by the Spirit, which should be all Christians, we should restore that person gently. Keyword, gently. There's a restoration process. Right, So I don't know what kind of church you grew up in. We have a lot of folks at our church that didn't grow up in any church. They think every church is like relentless. This is all they know, which is great. But maybe some of you have some backgrounds where there's certain sins that people were not restored gently, right? And and, in my context growing up, if you were divorced, man, they might as well have made you wear a hat with a big old D on it. You know, it was just like this. And that's not what Scripture uh, teaches. If somebody is struggling with sin, and sin has negative consequences. They should not be rejected but restored gently by the brothers and sisters in that church. And there's a warning to anybody who's going to do that work. you got to walk with people. you got to watch yourself because you said you might be tempted. What's he talking about? Well, it's heavy. If you're walking with other people through their junk, that can get heavy, right? And there's a temptation to kind of, like, man, this world's so messed up. People are so messed up. I just can't do it anymore. There's also a temptation somehow if I'm walking with somebody through their addiction, I got to be careful because you never want to look at somebody else's addiction and think, oh, I could never be where they are, right? That's a danger. We could all be where anybody is, so we got to stay on our toes, which leads to verse 2, which is huge for us. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ, right? This whole book is about the law we're done with the law. We're not living performance religion. We're living relationship built on faith in Jesus. So now it uses the law of Christ phrase, and it's, it's fulfilled in this act of carrying each other's burdens. That's what a church does. And you live in 2023, and you didn't, you didn't pick that. Nobody got to pick when they were born. But what's weird in 2023 that was not true when this was written 2,000 years ago is it's not only possible but normal to go to church and think church is doing what you're doing right now. This is the act of churching. Sitting, standing, singing, then sitting and listening to some dude talk, and then going home, and you'll tell people, I went to church. Scripture would say, when you're really being and when you're actually churching the verb, I'm being the church, is when you're carrying each other's burdens, which is impossible. If you don't know anybody in your row or anybody in the room, we're not mad at you. It's probably because you're new. But it's really hard to carry people's burdens if you don't know them and they don't know you. That's what we're supposed to be. That's the church of Jesus. That was his design. Let me give you a little word picture of, of what carrying burdens looks like. Just Because we've all got them. Right? And some burdens are heavier than others. But uh, I think back as we get near uh, Christmas, we did something yesterday that I used to make fun of people for doing. I apologize. I've, I'm a hypocrite. We put up a Christmas tree on November 11th. I know, I know. Alex, Grace, Grace, stay with me, man. So we did that. This is, I had a stroke a year ago this week. We'll talk about that in our Christmas series a little bit. But this is a, this is a, last Christmas was really hard, so we're excited about it. And I was thinking about Christmas as far as this carrying each other burdens vibe. When um, we lived in Kentucky, I was telling my kids, because Thanksgiving is next week, right? Um, right? Week and a half. Okay. Uh, I knew you'd know. Um, so Thanksgiving, I just tell my kids, because we have family that lives here close to us that have moved here since we started the church, and it's been such a blessing. And I was telling my kids, you know, it was many Thanksgivings when I was in my 20s where we didn't see family at all. And they're like, why not? I was like, well, I got two weeks of vacation, and we use one in the summer, and we always use one at Christmas. And they're like, 
two weeks of vacation, that's all for a whole year? I was like, yeah, I thought it was pretty amazing. This whole idea of you're going to pay me to not work, I thought that was great. So we didn't want to use any time at Thanksgiving, so we'd have our whole Christmas week. So when I did get to go home, home for me is Winston-Salem, North Carolina. We lived in Kentucky for a lot of years. So when we got to go home to Winston-Salem, where both me and my wife grew up, um, that was such an exciting time. So, you know, if you got little kids, you know how special Christmas is. Just soak it up. So that age of, like, we have, now we got 19, 19, 16. So when they were about uh, 5, 5 and 2, oh, it was so awesome. And But we'd have everything we owned. We'd have to have all of our clothes, all their clothes, all their toys, and every present. for. We have a big family. We do Christmas big. We had to get all, some of you, like the expert packers, you pack your trunk all nice and neat. I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know about you, but we, that was, there was no neat way to do this. It was stomp and kick and break and twist, and if you close the trunk on the first try, you didn't do it right. You got to get like a run and start, and once it closes, don't anybody open it on the whole trip because we'll never get that stuff back in there. That's how it was. So we would drive in, and whether we were going, my, my parents and my wife's parents both live in Winston, so we would alternate who we'd go to. But that moment, some of you know, like it's just a beautiful moment, pulling in that driveway. It's exhausting, the long seven-hour drive. And I'm home, right? And I couldn't wait to get in and see my wife's parents or my parents. Um, and now um, Kelly's parents are here and are part of our church, which is awesome. My parents are with Jesus. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's an emotional and beautiful time of the year. But what I want you to remember, if you've been there with little kids, is I'm there and I'm exhausted. I'm hugging. And then there's the unloading, right? And are, are you guys this way with both unloading uh, groceries and the, van, the vehicle is not the goal to do it in as few trips as possible, all right? Even if something breaks, but if you got stuff hanging, but if you can do it in one less trip and drop something, it's worth the risk, right? So it's just all these and it's present, so you got to be careful and suitcases and all the stuff. And that's when I was really home, after I got everything in and just sit, right? And the kids are going nuts and it's great and we're home, right? And then I remember uh, Christmas of 2012, which was our last Christmas in Kentucky before we came here. So at that time, I had eight, eight, and five. And I didn't tell them to do it, right? We got home that year for Christmas, and I was exhausted. And when I came out, I don't know if one of them said something to the other one, but when I came out and went to the van, all three of them were with me, right? So instead of me unloading everything, and some of the, pre you know, many hands, it was like, this is awesome. You know, for all these years, it's been me and my wife doing all the, she does all the, the wrapping and all the stuff, and now they're carrying all the stuff in, and it took, like, no time at all, and I wasn't exhausted. It was, like, two trips, all of us doing it. It's like, wow, this is, why didn't we do this earlier, right? Um, and that, that picture for me is, is, is this verse. It's what God said his church was supposed to be. Nobody's supposed to carry all that stuff by themselves, and I'm not talking about physical presence. I'm talking about emotional just junk, just the burdens of life. This life is hard. And we're supposed to carry each other's luggage, our spiritual baggage, our emotional baggage. And in doing this, we fulfill what Jesus was all about. So we got to learn that. This is why we're doing great work to organize and get better at caring for each other's burdens because that's what the church is. It's so important. We want it to be easy for you to be able to serve other people at Relentless Church, other people in your life because it should be. And it's super important. And sometimes we struggle with that importance. All right, Raph Gonzalez, um, pray for him. Uh, his grandmother is in her last days, so uh, he's in the Boston area to spend uh, some time with her. So he's not here this week, so I'm going to pick on him. Um, but um, 
we were talking, this was a couple years ago, so Raph and I have known each other a long time, but we've only, you know, been on staff together and coworkers. so he had come here, so we were doing what we do, so we talk about being healthy, so we talk a lot about our hearts and um, how you doing, and we were at lunch, Seth, Raph, and I one day, and he was just like, man, honestly, I'm just stressed. He's like, but it's okay, it's okay. I'm like, okay, that's, yeah, we all get stressed. Like, tell me more. And he was like, you know, and I was like, you know, if you know Raph, he's super sweet, but if you push, you can get to that Boston, right? You can get to it. So I pushed. I was like, no, no, seriously, like, unpack this. And he did, and you know, I'm going to get into it, he, what, what he was burdened by, and he unpacked it, and I was like, thank you. Now let me ask you a question. Why, why was that so difficult? Oh, it wasn't that hard. He's like, I was like, it was. I could tell you didn't want to say that. Tell me why. And I pushed, and I got Boston Raph, and he looked at me, and he said, because I, know I got stuff, and you want to know my stuff. That's great. I'm not too pri- pri- you know, prideful to tell you. I told you what I'm stressed about. Now you know. Now you're stressed on my behalf. Great. What did we accomplish? Like, how does that help anything, right? Just putting my stuff out there, I don't get it, right? And, and he, he gets it now, and I'm, I'm being hard on, on how he uh, communicated that. Um, but my answer to him was, Raph's got kids more than I can count. And uh, I said, if, you, if, your kids, if your kids are heavy, if your kid, you know when your kids are stressed, how hard that is on parents? You just can see they're carrying the weight of the world. If your kid's super stressed, and they're stressed about something, and you can't do anything about it, like there's no solution, do you want them not to tell you? No, I want to know. Why? Because I'm their dad. And he's like, you know, he's a preacher. He's like, I know what you're doing, yeah, right? But that's the point. I care about you. I can't fix it. I don't want you to tell me so that I can fix it. I'm not trying to fix it. I spent a lot of my life as a pastor. And let me tell you, it was miserable thinking that when you share your burden with me as a pastor, I thought I was a doctor. Like you go to the doctor, you want him to fix you. I'm a spiritual doctor. No, I'm not. I cannot fix your burdens. We're not called to fix. We're called to carry. And we cannot carry what we do not know. And that's a two-way street. I got to be willing to let you carry my junk, and you got to be willing to step into my junk with me. That's what the church does. That's the law of Christ, and it's beautiful. Verse 3, he says, if anyone thinks you're something when you're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. So there's a lot in there, right? Take pride in yourself alone. We're not talking about sinful pride But he's saying, without comparing, if your pride, if you think good about yourself because you know somebody near you that you're better than, that's not good, right? Don't don't get don't feel good about yourself based on how bad someone else is is doing. And he ends that whole thing with, for each one should carry their own load. Wait a second, he just told us the law of Christ was fulfilled by carrying each other's burdens, and now three verses later he's telling us to carry our own load. And I was like. How am I going to preach this? Paul's contradicting himself in the same paragraph. So I did a little study. I, I think one of the great things about these small groups is some of us are learning to study the Bible and go to some of all the, the resources we have in the world that we didn't have 10 years ago that are available and free. And I, and I did the Greek study on these words. So the word that we already preached, carry each other's burdens. If you, if you study that Greek word, it's a, it's a crushing weight. So the kind of burdens we're supposed to carry is like if we were all in an awful earthquake and we're, this building collapses and there's a rescue team that comes try to get us out from under rocks. That's the kind of, this word though, at the end of the verse 5, carry their own load, that's a Greek word that was used to describe a soldier's backpack. So it's not the heavy crushing load. If you know military, right, there's one thing you don't do is 
is not be able to carry your own, your own backpack. So spiritually speaking, we're supposed to carry each other's burdens, but there is something that I can't carry for you. There's something that's just yours. It's your standing with God. Your, your relationship with God is your accountability. We, we're a multi-ethnic, forever-focused, gospel-centered church, right? Forever-focused is built on we're trying to preach boldly because I don't know if I'll ever see you again. We believe with all our heart that everybody that you know and everybody in the room will, will meet their maker, so to speak, one day. That moment of going to the next life is coming. And what's not going to happen on that moment is God's going to say, okay, uh, Relentless Church, Raleigh, North Carolina, please come forward. Pass, fail, and we're all, it's not, it's going to be individual. As far as you and God, it's not going to be your pastor with you. It's not going to be your spouse with you. It's going to be you and God. And in, a, in some level, we got to carry our own backpack and take responsibility for our own spiritual health, right? We're adults in this room for the most part. We're becoming adults, and that's part of it. So we can do both. We can both carry our responsibility and fulfill the law of Christ by carrying each other's burdens. And and in a room this size, I have no idea, God does, what burdens there are, right? Sometimes you, and sometimes we forget to say this at Relentless because there's so much stuff going on. And I love what Bonnie shared about her fight with anxiety earlier. If you're someone in here and your life is pretty joyful and smooth right now, don't feel bad. We need you, right? We need to mix that in, right? The church our size, we always got everything going on. So never hide. If God is just blessing your socks off, we need to hear from you. We need your smile because the people that are just heavy burden, they need to know that there's some joy in the room, that everybody's not at their lowest point, that everybody's not in the valley together because who helps people get through the valley? A lot of times it's people that aren't. So if I'm at the airport and you're coming off and you got all these, you know, luggage and baggage and you're trying to get to your car and I've got the same, I've got 17 bags and four kids hanging on me, I'm probably not going to be able to carry your stuff very well with you, right? We need people that are free in different seasons of life to really work this out. Now, I'm going to spend a lot of time on one and two. I know some of you are doing the math. It's like, there's no way he's going to get through six things. I'll be, we'll be fine. Um, God cannot be mocked. This is big. Number two, verse seven. Look what, look what he says. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. When you think about mockery, I think about my junior high self. I was a great mocker, right? If I could get behind the teacher while she's teaching, oh, I was great at, like, mouthing all of her words. I was awful, right? And it's a gift because my, my daughter hates it. She kind of likes it, but she kind of hates it. Um, now with her friends, sometimes teenage daughter, and I can do this thing, and I would, I'd bring her up, but she was in first service, and she wouldn't come up here anyway. Um, but she can start talking, and I'll, I'll mock her as she's talking. I'll say her words. Right, and I kind of know what she's going to say, and then she'll go, Ugh, and then I'll go, Ugh, and I can do it right with her, and I'm pretty good at it. It's really fun. Right? So it's like, how do we do that? How do you, what do you mean God cannot be mocked? Right? This is in the, the context of the gospel, this whole book of this freedom. How, where's our free, we get to live free. That's, one, that's the biggest takeaway from this whole series. Some of us are not living in the freedom that God bought for us. So if we're living in this freedom, what does it mean God cannot be mocked? Some people abuse this freedom. They take this story of grace and freedom, and they twist it to say, I'm free. Jesus died for me. I can do what I want, right? I, don't, I, I answer, you know, only God can judge me, we might say, right? And it, it's a way of saying I can do whatever I want because of grace. And God's saying, think about, think, about, think about the big picture here. We were all lost. 
We were all helpless and hopeless and headed to hell without the capability of helping ourselves. And God said, I love you so much, the world so much, I'm going to send my one and only son. He's going to live the perfect life. He's going to be the bridge to get my people back to me. I'm going to buy you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to be relentless in my grace and chasing after you so you can rescue and adopt you. Because you can't good yourself back to me. You're not holy. You never will be. You have no chance. That's why I have to send Jesus so that you can have a chance through faith in Jesus to be adopted back, restored, redeemed back by God and be his. And then you're called to live this Christian life, which we talked about last week, which you're incapable of. How messed up is that? There's a life, I don't even have to know your story if you're a Christian. There's a life God called you to and you can't live it on your best day. You can only live it through the power of the spirit of Jesus. So is it mockery of God to say, I'm gonna live the Christian life on my own strength? Yes, that's mocking God. God did so much so that we would have a chance and we have no ability in our own flesh to do it. So when we try to do it in ourselves, in our own strength, that's a mockery of God. Or when we take the grace of God and say, I can do what I want. I, it, using the Bible says we can use grace as a license to sin, and that's a mockery of the gospel. Uh, the truth is, and I didn't know this for a lot of my life, the more you understand the gospel, the more you want to sow to please the spirit, not to please the flesh. When we talk about the flesh, we talked about that last week quite a bit. We talked about the flesh being this uh, selfish, sinful human nature that we have. And sowing, that's a farming analogy. If you sow, you're putting seeds in the ground that eventually will sprout into something that hopefully you can eat. If you sow, if you, if you sow and plant seeds in your life to please your sinful nature, it says it will reap destruction. If you sow to please the Spirit, it says you will reap eternal life, right? So it's, you've heard that phrase, you reap what you sow, right? We've got to make sure we understand what that means because God is a God of grace. I don't know if you were a better student than me. I know some of you were because I know the jobs you have. Um, I don't know if you ever prayed this prayer that I prayed. I remember walking to class, Kentucky Christian University. This is so awful. Walking to class to take a test that I chose to stay up and play Madden the night before till 2 a.m. instead of doing what I know I should have done on this significant, one of those classes where you only get a few tests so you can't really bomb one and, and get away with it. And I'm praying, and I, was, I love God, and I'm praying this prayer. God, help me do good on this test that I didn't study for, which I would have never said it like this, but basically I was praying, God, help me recall the information that I don't know. Help me know what I didn't spend the time to study, right? Now, here's what's crazy about God. Everyone, there's some tests that I should have failed that I didn't, and not because I'm smart. He is a good God, but there's a, there's a limit to that prayer, right? Apply that to your life, right? Don't, don't be sowing the seeds of sin to your flesh and then be surprised when things are rough, right? Because you've you're going to reap, on some level, grace or not, you're going to reap what you sow in this life. But this gets real complicated, right? Because sometimes we think grace removes the consequences of sin. It doesn't, right? If I don't study for a test and I fail the test, it's not because God isn't a good God and he didn't come through. It's because I didn't study, right? God doesn't remove the consequences, but he, what grace does, it allows us to keep moving and it allows the consequences not to stay on us forever. We're not stained forever with the guilt and the shame of our worst moment or our worst sin or whatever. And sometimes, believe it or not, the church is the place where people can get labeled for their past sin or their past divorce or their past whatever, right? And that's not, that's not the gospel, right? We do reap what we sow. God won't be mocked, but let's make sure 
make sure we don't get reaping and sowing mixed up with karma, right? So karma, if you know it's through karma, comes from the Hindu religion, and it's this idea, you hear it in different ways today, of the universe, the universe and the energy, and if you put out good energy, you'll get good stuff back. If you put out bad energy, you'll put, get bad stuff back. But if you go to the root of it, what it really is, it's saying you were so bad in your past life, you're going through junk today because you were so bad in your past life, you're, you're paying for that. And if things are going well, you were really good. And if you're really bad in this life, you might be like a Duke fan in the next life or something, something horrible, right? You just don't know. It's a joke. I didn't tell that first service. God gave that to me just for y'all. So... You understand that karma, karma, like this whole book is about freedom. There's no, karma produces pressure. I've got to do well so that my next life and so that the universe will send me back good. And the problem with karma is there's people in our church going through unspeakable hard times, like grief that is just deep, once in a lifetime kind of grief struggle, physically, emotionally, death of children kind of stuff, right? So if you're buying to karma, you're going to ask the question, what did I do to make God so mad? What did I do to get here? And that is not the gospel. You don't ask, well, well I reap what I sow so that if bad stuff's happening, I mu it must be my fault. No, 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 no. That is not reap what you sow. What he's saying is you can either live by the flesh or you can live by the spirit. And if you live by the flesh, it is going to reap destruction. What it's not saying is when you suffer or things don't go like you want that it has to be your fault. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is I'm with you no matter what, and I'm a good God, but I want you to trust me because I know the future, and I know the way the world works as I designed it, and if you don't trust me and you do things your own way, it's going to hurt you. That's why I loved you enough to give you a, a straight path. And sometimes this is the ugly truth, and I wish it wasn't true. Sometimes we reap what other people sow. Sometimes other people sow some messed up stuff, and we suffer the consequences for their bad decisions or sins or whatever, right? And what do we do with that? Is that fair? It's not fair at all. But we can respond to those things either by the flesh and vengeance and all that, or we can respond in the Spirit, and the Spirit will lead us to a place of freedom and grace even in those situations. So, And those are some of the most powerful testimonies that I know of in our church, people that had every right to, to be irate and mad and hold a grudge forever and chose by the Spirit to forgive and to allow God to work in some really hard situations. Here's, here's what gets really frustrating for me. We try to help people learn to live by the Spirit, and then people are like, you know what? I don't want to do that. They don't say that, but they want control of the life. I'm going to do things my way. And then things go left, and then who do they blame? God. Where's God? If there's a good God, how could this happen? I'm like, how are we going to ignore what God said on the front end and then blame him on the back end? That's not fair. What, here's what he's saying. We're going to reap to some level what we sow. There's a God of grace working on that. But none of you would go put apple seeds in your backyard. I'm not agricultural. Is that even a thing? Can you grow apples from seeds? Johnny did. Um, <laughs> none of you would put apple seeds in your backyard and then expect pumpkins, right? Because apple seeds don't grow pumpkins. Pumpkin seeds don't grow apples. Am I right? Right. So that's all God's saying. You're gonna, if you live for yourself to, to please the flesh, there's some destruction that's going to come from that and negative consequences. If you sow and live your life to please the Spirit, to please God, you're going to reap eternal life and, and some other awesome things, and it doesn't mean you're going to be exempt from some hard things, which means we've got to fight against weariness, number three, because here's what he said next. Verse 9, let's not become weary in doing good. 
For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You feel that word, weary? Don't become weary. You know, weary is just like, ah, I can't take anymore. I'm just weary. It says don't become weary specifically in doing good, right? This world, watch the news. It's hard. It's hard locally. It's hard globally. It's hard relentless world, right? It's just a lot. And we can get exhausted with that. And it says, don't become weary in doing good, all kinds of good. Some of you, uh, we had people in the 9 o'clock service, and they don't come to the 9 o'clock service because they prefer it. They only came to the 9 o'clock service because they're serving in the 11 o'clock. So they're taking care and teaching your kids or working with coffee or guest service or whatever. We, we have people that were here uh, last night and this morning because it was an event in this building that we do not own over the weekend. So they had to reset everything up uh, to get ready for today. That's doing good. Um, don't get weary. Think the, 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 the temptation is, well, what I do doesn't really matter, right? The, 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 the woman in the nursery holding one of your babies right now, it's like, it's not that big a deal. It is. Don't grow weary in doing good. And the biggest, the biggest word in this verse is if. For at the proper time, I don't know when that is, God does. You will reap a harvest, right? Farmers, it's a lot of work. You do all that so that one day you get to grow something and eat something. Our harvest is coming if, it's not guaranteed, it may not be worth it if we give up. So all you, all you uh, doers, right, some of you are just doers. You got to do, 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 do. Oh, that's fun to say, right? And that's, that's not the gospel. The gospel is, we, we always say here, we're trying to care more about, more about who you're becoming than what you're doing, right? Some of you have incredible gifts that bless our church. That is not the priority. The priority is not your giftedness. The priority is who you're becoming in Christ. And, and we just got to keep going because sometimes the most holy thing you can do is choose not to give up. Instead of thinking, I got to go take this message and go do something, sometimes you know what God really wants from you most is just to keep going. Not, don't grow weary. Just keep. That's a holy, obedient, powerful act is just to choose. It's a, it's a daily choice. I'm not going to give up on God. I'm going to reap a harvest. I'm going to keep doing good. And do good to who? Verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. All right, let's do good to all people. Right? You don't get to pick and choose. All means all. Anybody. As you have the opportunity. There may be somebody you run into in your world in your afternoon. I don't know. God does. It's not accidental. As God gives you opportunity, your mindset is, how can I do good to somebody? And when we say do good, you think financially. A lot of like, how can I give the homeless guy some money? And that could be a part of it, but it's so much bigger than that. How can I bless and be good to somebody that waits on my table if you're going to lunch or whatever, whatever you're doing? But it's especially, this is kind of weird, it's especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I had a professor at KCU, Kentucky Christian that said, and I was always like, I don't know how I feel about that. He said, when I sell a car, um, and this was, you know, pre-autotrader.com and car, all of that, but, you know, it was the old-fashioned way. You put a sign on it, they call you. Um, he said, when I sell a car, I have two prices. I have the price for the general public, and then I have a lower price for anybody that's a Christian. I was like, I don't know. How do you get there? And he said, it's this verse. I'm trying to do good to everybody, but there's another level. A, there's a Christian-only price because we're trying to really bless the family of believers without being, you know, inclusive in country club or any of that garbage, but we're trying to do good. This is what we're about. This is what Christians are. We're, we're created for good works, but what have we done? We have, like everything else, we've taken what God gave us as a gift of freedom, and we've 
We've enslaved ourselves to it. You might have been brought up in a, in a situation where the more good you do, because that's connected to karma, right? It's a weight, it's a scale, you know, the more good I do, the better, uh, the more sure I'm okay. Or, or, as long as my good outweighs my bad. I've heard so many intelligent people say, here's my philosophy of life. When I get to the end, as long as my good pile is bigger than my bad pile, hopefully the good Lord will shine on me. And he's like, the good Lord was so good to give you his gospel and to say, your good pile is never going to be worth jack in the, in the sight of God, right? It's, there's, no, there's no pile that's big enough. So there's a difference here. We're not saved by our good works. No, 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 no. You're not saved because you do good things. And if you believe that, that's, th- these are two completely different lives. There's so much pressure, right? If you really believe my standing with God, my salvation, my eternity is based on how much good I do here, man, you got to get on it. What are you doing here? You should be going doing some good somewhere. But that's not the life. It's not saved by good works. It's saved for good works. We are saved so that we can do good to others. We're freed up. We don't have to live, you know, for all the stuff the world says we got to live for. That's freedom. I'm just looking as I have opportunity. How can I do good to all people, especially to the family of believers? That's the free life that he's calling us to. It's not pressure. Four, circumcision, all right? And this is a real quick point, and my wife's funnier than you realize. She was in first service, and I always get some tips from her uh, between services, and she said, I think you can just cut that circumcision part out. And she said, as soon as she said it, she said, no pun intended. I was like, I'm telling second service that. Uh, I said, I can't, I can't cut it out because it, it connects to number five. Because what Paul's saying, and the verses aren't on the screen, he's saying, I know why you guys are so obsessed with circumcision. It's your pride. Because there was these camps. There was these Jewish Christians, not all of them, but there was some Jewish Christians who had come to believe Jesus was the Christ and the Messiah, but they also we're fully Jewish, we are chosen by God, we are descendants of Abraham, and our standing with God comes through the act, the covenant of circumcision. So great, these Gentiles that aren't Jews, they're becoming Christians, they're part of our church, great. Well, now that you're a Christian Gentile, when do you want to do the circumcision? Are you available Tuesday at 9, right? And the, the Gentile Christians were like, I thought it was about faith in Jesus. They're like, well, it is, but Jesus plus some circumcision. And, that was, and, and now Paul's saying, you're doing that because... You're prideful because they're keeping tallies. Like, how many, how many Gentiles have you got to be circumcised, right? And I, they're just, and he says two reasons. You're trying to, um, you know, pat yourself on the back, one. And two, you're trying to avoid persecution. There was, such a, there was such a cultural power. You know, culture can oppress. Like, there's some culture issues that can just make you got to post this. You got to say this. You got to believe this. You got to vote this way. There's this cultural Ugh. And it was that. It was not, he, Paul was saying, some of you, you don't even, you know the gospel. You know you don't have to be circumcised to be a real Christian. But you're so scared of the people that do that you won't speak up. Because he, he called them PPs, people pleasers, instead of GPs, God pleasers. Right? So that, he said, these people are bragging about all the circumcision that they're making the Gentiles go through. And he went from that to our fifth point. My one and only boast, he said, may I never brag or boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, to which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He said, I'm dead to the world. I don't care about what people think of me. There is no space in our faith for look at me, look at me, look at me. We live in such a look at me world, right? Social media is damaging. I won't be the pastor that says it's a sin to have it. I have it. Um, I'm I'm trying to control it so it doesn't control me. But the basis of all social media, as I understand it, is look at me. Look what I did. Look what I ate. Look where I went. Look at my kids. Look at this and that. 
And there's just not space for that. Paul's like, the whole purpose of our life is Jesus flowing through us. I'll never brag in anything except the cross of Jesus. Anything I do right is because of him, and my victory and my peace and my hope and my freedom comes from the cross. He defeated sin for me. He won my freedom. He gave me a new identity. He bought me with the blood of Jesus on the cross. I'll never brag about anything, Paul said, except Jesus and the cross and what he accomplished there for me. It doesn't mean it's wrong to post about your kids on social media. It's it's my one and only boast. The only thing that really matters, the, one, the thing we should be focused on bragging about is Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross and how that affects our lives. I think we struggle with this sometimes, honestly, because maybe you don't know. Maybe you're all about what Jesus did on the cross, but you're not so sure what that means for your life. And that's, that's, that's what we're so glad you're here because that's where it's at. It is the Jesus who's still alive, working and flowing through us. And when he's flowing through you, you know there's no place for, look what I did. You know it wasn't you. You've said things, done things, overcome things. We sang about uh, darkness and addiction. Some of us have walked through addictions and we're clean and we're free. And we know we didn't free ourselves. I won't brag on anything except for Jesus. When glory from human effort dies, so does human boasting. Right? So when we stop the religious culture of giving people glory for their own effort, for their own trying harder, then human boasting dies with that. Six and finally, he ends the whole book by saying this in verse 15. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. And this, this could get a man killed in the first century. He's talking to, to Jewish Christians who their whole identity was racial. Their whole identity was, I'm Jewish. Their whole identity is, we were chosen by God to be his people. He started a country out of my great, 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 great grandfather named Abraham, he, and he chose us, and he gave his circumcision as a covenant and as a seal. As, as we are his, he marked us as his people through this, and Paul says, you guys that were circumcised, doesn't mean anything. You guys who aren't circumcised, don't care. All that matters is a new creation. You want to have the surgery that matters? It's not a small procedure. It is the brand new birth. It is a new life in Christ. That's what we are, Christians. We're a different species. We're not a better version of our old self. We are completely new. You're a whole new creature, right? You don't really resemble your old self, right? The spiritual DNA is now Jesus, and there's just no comparison between my flesh and Jesus. It's just night and day. That's what matters. Us living in the new creation that God has given us, the newness of life. That's why we celebrate it. When people place their faith in Jesus for the first time and become a new creation and then follow through with baptism, like we, we, just, we just go nuts because there's just nothing. That's what matters. Circumcision, uncircumcision, all the stuff we can argue about modern day about this theology or this and that, you know what matters? What matters is a new creation. That's the question we need to be asking, not are you this, are you, are you new? Have you been made new by Christ, born again? And if you're not sure, man, we'd love to have that conversation and help walk you through that. I want to end this series. We're starting a brand new series next week. It's a two-week. It's a cute little adorable series, just precious. A little two-week series around both Sundays of Thanksgiving called A Canary in the Coal Mine. That's all I'm going to tell you today. So we're ending Galatians today. And then when we get through with that, we're in Christmas. Believe it or not, we're in our Christmas series, which is going to be a big deal. We're going to do it different. There's a lot to be excited about. But we're going to end this Galatians series um, with the way that Paul ended the letter, verse 18. He said, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. And I want to say this before I pray for you. Don't get twisted on the reaping and sowing. 
don't think God's punishing you because of bad decisions you make, right? There's grace for you. There is hope for you. Yes, we do reap what we sow, but he doesn't want to punish you. He loves you enough to tell you in advance, hey, don't go that route. That's not good for you. He'll tell you what's good and what's not good. And we do reap what we sow on some level, and God will meet you right where you are. Sometimes the most powerful grace stories are, I did everything wrong. That's the name of our church. You can run from God. You can ignore God. He's relentless. He just keeps showing up. He just keeps coming after you. No matter what you've done, nobody's outside of that. You may be reaping what you've been sowing. You may be reaping what somebody else in your life has been sowing. And you need to know that there's a God who loves you despite all that. Father, as we go from this place, I just pray we'd go in power and strength. We'd be free. God, there's so much pressure. God, we, we have in this room, we have relational pressure. We have occupational pressure. We have athletic pressure. We have academic pressure. God, what we do not need is spiritual pressure to try to live up to some standard that you've already told us we'll never, ever live up to. Would you free us? Would you give us so much joy just that comes from the freedom of knowing we can't, you knew we couldn't, and you gave us the spirit of Jesus so that we could be what you've called us to be, that we could live free. I pray that we would, every opportunity this week, God, that we would choose to live and sow seeds to the spirit and obey you and trust you And just trust that it's all going to be worth it as long as we don't give up. God, if there's somebody in this room that has thought about giving up, I just pray that you would uh, remind them that it's worth it, that you would meet them right where they are and speak to them today. I pray you'd bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.